In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse my heart and my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus was setting out on a journey when a man ran up, knelt before him, and put this question to him. Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You must not kill. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not bring false witness. You must not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Master, I have kept all these from my earliest days. Jesus looked steadily at him and loved him. And he said, That is one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. But his face fell at these words, and he went away sad, for he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded by these words, but Jesus insisted, My children, he said to them, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were more astonished than ever. In that case, they said to one another, who can be saved? Jesus gazed at them. For men, he said, it is impossible, but not for God, because everything is possible for God. Peter took this up. What about us? he asked him. We have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, I tell you solemnly, there is no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, father, children, or land for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not be repaid a hundred times over, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land, not without persecutions. Now in this present time, and in the world to come, eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord The rich young man comes before a Lord as a student, seeking direction from a teacher, hoping to be enlightened as to how he can inherit eternal life, which is another way of saying, how could he get to heaven? But as he comes before the Lord, he falls on his knees and addresses the Lord as good master, without realizing that his words and his action are revealing more than what he is willing to admit. Our Lord then says to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Now our Lord is not repudiating the attribute of good for himself in some act of humility, but rather inviting the man to reflect more deeply on what he had just said and the premise of his potential relationship with the Lord. Yes, our Lord is not just a good teacher. He is the source and foundation of all goodness, for he is God. Pope Francis reminds us that those who wish to understand the mystery of God must first get down on their knees in an act of humility, in an act of adoration and worship. Otherwise, they will not understand anything. 
If we should seek knowledge and wisdom from Him, we should do so on our knees, which is to say that it must be done in prayer, with a heart open to conversion and with a willingness to grow in faith and not just in knowledge. Where there is no relationship with God, there can be no true understanding of Christ or His teachings. Christ is not a puzzle to be solved in a merely intellectual way, nor a textbook to be studied from cover to cover to comprehend His ways. One may have vast, encyclopedic knowledge of the Lord. One may accomplish great deeds of kindness and charity in His name. But without true conversion that leads to assimilating the life of Christ into oneself, our relationship with Christ remains superficial and spiritually barren. Faith, conversion and holiness then all go hand in hand with one another. A faith without conversion is a dead faith a shell of its true form, and is incapable of attaining its proper end of sanctification and divine life, which begins even now here on earth in baptism and the life of sanctifying grace. Cardinal Ratzinger, who later became Pope Benedict XVI, wrote, The person who prays begins to see. Praying and seeing go together, because as Richard of St. Victor says, Love is the faculty of seeing. All real progress in theological understanding has its origin in the eye of love and in its faculty of beholding. So there can be no genuine understanding of the faith without a love of God and faithful adherence to his word. Now this was the issue with the rich young man. He sought the secret to eternal life as an intellectual pursuit but lacked the love for the Lord to see and grasp the meaning of his words. This man seemed to have knowledge, and he may even be doing the right thing by practicing what he believed, which is the commandments. But he lacked the love for Christ to allow him to make the ultimate sacrifice which our Lord had challenged him to do. Our Lord tells him, There is one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you own, and give the money to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Can you see the irony of this man's actions? What is the one thing he lacks? It is that he lacks nothing. The one thing which is holding him back from spiritual progress is the thing that he possesses, or rather, the things which possess him. If Christ, the source of eternal life, was wholly sufficient for this man, there was no need for him to cling to any other material possessions or earthly securities. Walking away tells us that there were far more important things than eternal life in the heart of this man. But where this man lacks the love for the Lord which is required for him to move forward, our Lord does not cease in loving him. The evangelist tells us that the Lord looked steadily at him and loved him. It is this gaze of divine love that would have captivated the man's heart and moved him to surrender all his earthly attachments if he had only seen it. But sadly, preoccupied with his own thoughts, he seems to have not, not have noticed our Lord's loving gaze. He had eyes only for his possessions, his ambitions, and what he risked losing. Now, our Lord's disciples were no better. 
they condescendingly regard themselves as superior to this rich young man by boasting that they had given up everything, unlike this man who had been unwilling to part with his possessions. They fail to see that they are as equally mistaken as the sincere seeker of the truth. The pursuit of eternal life can never be done on the basis of one's own efforts. Rather, it is a gift given to those who acknowledge their own neediness. If you recall, our Lord had used the example of children to illustrate this point. And here our Lord addresses his disciples once again as children. Children have no accomplishments with which to earn God's favour, no status that makes them worthy. In their dependency, they exemplify the only disposition that makes entrance into the kingdom possible, simply to receive it as a pure, unmerited gift. That is why the possessions of the rich young man and the sacrifices made by the Lord's disciples are incapable of buying them a place in heaven. A short parable of the camel and the eye of the needle can be understood in this phrase, how hard it is, which our Lord uses twice. The way of following Christ would always appear hard and even impossible when we place more trust in our own status, knowledge, wealth and abilities as substitutes for trust in God alone. But remember what our Lord said, for men it is impossible, but not for God. Because everything is possible for God. The kingdom of God, the gift of eternal life, is something utterly beyond human achievement. It cannot be earned, it cannot be claimed as a right, it cannot be bought or bartered for a price, it does not come as a reward for good behaviour. It depends solely on the goodness of God who freely offers it as a gift. Nothing we are capable of giving up or enduring for the Lord's sake or for the sake of the gospel is worthy of comparison with the eternal life that we will gain in the end. So there is no need to congratulate yourself if you think that you've put in more prayer, more donations, more service than the average guy. Never keep a record of what you have done for God, but always remember what He has done for you, something which you can never hope of repaying. Thus, what is required of us is not just being ambitious of acquiring knowledge or special graces, as if these were brownie points to be accumulated, nor do we need to prove our sincerity by the largesse of our sacrifices and contributions. Rather, what is needed is the humble, childlike faith of a disciple who understands that he can only fall at the feet of the one who is the source of all goodness, on whom he depends for everything, including his or her salvation. We are called to come before the Lord on our knees, to gaze upon him in loving adoration, knowing that he loves us back in such a degree that we could never hope to grasp or comprehend, or repay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, cleanse my heart and my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The crowds got even bigger 
and Jesus addressed them. This is a wicked generation. It is asking for a sign. The only sign it will be given is a sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. On Judgment Day, the Queen of the South will rise up the man of this generation and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and there is something greater than Solomon here. On Judgment Day, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation and condemn it, because when Jonah preached, they repented, and there is something greater than Jonah here. The Gospel of the Lord. We have this familiar story of our Lord berating his audience for their insatiable appetite for spectacular miracles. But wait, St. Luke actually doesn't mention the people asking the Lord for a sign. He seems to have read their minds even though their intention is unspoken. Perhaps our Lord would have drawn this conclusion by seeing that the crowds had swelled. A miraculous healing rally is certainly a crowd pleaser as well as a crowd puller. The problem is that the crowds were not drawn to the person or teachings of our Lord. They were only attracted to him for the wrong reasons, because they wanted to see him perform magic tricks for them. The second difference between St. Luke's version of this story and that of St. Matthew's is that St. Luke omits mentioning that Jonah was in the belly of the whole whale for three days and three nights. St. Matthew mentions of this detail points to the death and resurrection of the Lord. But this doesn't seem to be the focus of St. Luke. In fact, St. Luke explains that his understanding of the sign of Jonah is that Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites. Jonah had gone to the Ninevites with this message, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be destroyed. In response, the Ninevites, led by their king, repented, fasted, and prayed. Seeing their actions, God relented and did not destroy them. So on one level, the sign of Jonah is the message, repent or die. Just as the Ninevites heard Jonah's warning, put faith in it, and were spared, so the people of Jesus' time should put faith in his warning to repent and believe in the good news. If they do not, they will meet with great disaster. But the sign of Jonah to the Ninevites also has a deeper meaning. If Israel will not repent, then God will take their power and strength and give it to a foreign land that knows him not. These foreigners will shame and humiliate Israel, inflicting God's punishment on them. What is more humiliating to know, as it was for Jonah himself, is that a pagan country would repent while God's own people would not. Likewise, by citing the Queen of the South, a pagan queen, that she could make a long pilgrimage to seek out the wisdom of Solomon is another hit at the Jews who fail to seek out our Lord, who is wisdom incarnate. Once again, the pagans are deemed superior to the Jews by comparison. With this context, we come to hear these words of our Lord as a warning to the people of his generation. If they would not repent and accept the gospel, God would take it from them and give it to the Gentiles. Just as ancient Israel's refusal to repent led to his destruction by the Assyrians, 
So Israel's refusal to repent in Jesus' time would mean destruction by the Romans. But our Lord's words are not just meant for his generation. This wicked generation refers to all generations, including ours. Like the generation of our Lord's time, so many have an insatiable appetite for the dramatic, the spectacular, or the entertaining. The size of a crowd alone is no proof that the congregation or its pastor has got it right. It may just indicate a culture thirsty and hungry for cheap tricks rather than for life-saving truth and redeeming grace. Don't be fooled by mere appearances. And so we are all called to repent, to turn from and reject this deception of idolatry and the lure of sinful and corrupting behavior, the narcissistic worship of self, in order to welcome and embrace the one who comes to proclaim and to offer salvation to all, and not just a counterfeit gospel to provide us with cheap entertainment. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.